0: Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with an album review of the 1968 first release from the band Deep Purple. One of my favorite bands. Love these guys. Been listening to them since basically before time began. Uh, found them through Rainbow, actually uh, found Rainbow through MTV, the song Stone Cold. And then uh, the video for Death Alley Driver came out and then they did a a concert on. I don't know if it was the Headbangers Ball yet or not, but they were doing concerts on MTV. I remember it was a, a crazy weather day. They were playing in San Antonio. The opening to the concert is like this, you know, kind of big rainstorm thing. And we were taking my great grandmother to the airport to fly back to Germany. And with the pending weather coming in, because of course, you know, when you're at the airport in the old days, when you could go to the gate, you could see, you know, the sky for quite a distance. So we were watching the storm come in and I was really worried that we weren't going to make it home in time for the concert as it, it turned out we did with... Not much time to spare, as I recall, but we did get to see the entire concert, and they played Smoke in the Water. I asked my mom, do you know what that song is? And she goes, I think the guitarist was in a band called Deep Purple, and uh, and then the Rainbow Connection, as it were, were made to Deep Purple, started buying up their back catalog like it was uh, candy that was in, uh, you know, going out of style, and uh, loved every album of it. And so... Uh, every one of these albums is very special to me. All 24 studio albums, even Made in Japan. I'm not a big live album guy, but Made in Japan is a big one for me. So over the course of, of the coming months, I'm going to get into all of these albums because, like I said, they're very special to me. And those are all the things I'm covering is music that has had an impact on me at one point or another for one reason or another. And the version that I'm working off, I don't remember where it came from, but there are a couple of bonus tracks on it. There is the uh the mysterious song shadows which was uh was an outtake and the first place i heard it was actually not on shades of deep purple because it wasn't on the tetragrammaton release i did have the actual tetragrammaton album at one point uh all first three albums that were issued through that company i had at one point um on on actual vinyl but uh this wasn't on there it was a bonus track and the first place i heard it was on an album called the anthology which we had to order from somewhere in Europe. I don't remember where it was, probably England. Um, I, I can't be sure. I I remember the catalog. I I can like picture the catalog, but I can't remember the name of the company that we got it from. In any case, it had a bunch of tracks that we had never heard. There was uh Hallelujah from the In Rock sessions or from prior to to In Rock, it was the audition piece for Roger and Ian Gillen. We had uh Let's see. There was You Keep On Moving from Come Taste the Band and we couldn't get Come Taste the Band. It wasn't available in our area. So, uh, that was the first time we heard anything from that. There was the song Freedom from Fireball. So that was a new one. And this song Shadows, which we'll get into, uh, towards the end of the podcast. Really, really cool song and a uh, bit of an error in it that, uh, that I, I heard, but it's, uh, it's really cool. So this version also has an alternate take of a song called Love Help Me, which was, a really nice surprise because it's an instrumental version, so you can hear a little more of what the band is doing. Um, Richie really plays a lot in this song, and it just kind of goes off on his own. And it's really nice to be able to just hear everything that the band played without the vocals. So we're going to get into those songs um, as well as we go throughout the album. There's uh, you know some covers on here, some fun stuff, and it's you know an album that I I very much enjoy. So I say we get right into it from the 1968 first release of Deep Purple. Here is the opening track and the address. I'm going to skip in a little bit to the song because there's a long, drawn-out introduction where just the organ is kind of fading in out of nowhere. So I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit. Adventurous instrumental. Uh, it goes to a lot of cool places, and I love the cowbell in there. That really makes the song for me. The band just redid it on their last um, creative writing studio album, I should say, because their last studio album was a cover album. Uh, but their last one, whoosh, and I thought it was a really good version. But I missed the cowbell. I, I would be curious. I've never heard a reason why it wasn't part of the song. You know, maybe cowbells are considered outdated now. I don't know. Certainly, Christopher Walken wouldn't think so if he was playing Bruce Dickinson in an SNL sketch. But in any case, it was not on the current version, which I do like very much. But this one, you know, th- there's something about the sound of this album. It's the late sixties. Music had a certain sound to it. And this is a band that sounds really full and rich. Everybody's playing at the top of their game. They're really young kids at this point. They're, you know, some of them are really accomplished. John Lord and Richie Blackmore had done quite a bit by this point. Uh, Ian Pace had been touring around with Rod Evans and, uh, you know, it, it, there'd been a lot going on. But uh, they're still just kids. And it's just amazing the, the things they came up with for the time, the talent and the proficiency. From what I heard, this album was written and recorded in a very, very short time, like a weekend. So, you know, they had writing sessions ahead of it. But I mean, that's that's a really quick time to sit there and make songs perfect, especially when you're not when not everybody was used to recording. So our our lineup is basically Richie Blackmore on guitar, Nick Simper on bass, John Lord on keys, Ian Pace on drums, and Rod Evans on the vocals. And it's uh, it's a stellar lineup. It really is uh, very very cool to to hear the sound preserved. It's it, it, the mix is pretty balanced. I have to say, for as fast as it was done and the mastering was done, it actually sounds pretty good. Uh, I don't recall if this version was remastered, but I know it wasn't remixed. So at the very case, we still got the original mix was maybe a little polishing in the master, but everything sounds pretty good. You know, Um, the the 60s were a different time, the way music sounded and was distributed and recorded. But I think this sounds really good. Um, And so and the address definitely a favorite song. Now, this next song is a cover of a Joe South song. They heard a version by a guy named Billy Joe Royal, and this became their first hit, which just boosted them like crazy in the States right off the bat. Here is Hush. Great dance song, uh, has a really cool beat to it. There's an incredible organ solo in it. But the groove just really locks you in. Rod's got some great vocals. It's a really passionate song. Very 60s, for sure. Uh, but uh, nice backups in there by the band as well. Uh, a great song. And it's probably one that you've heard, at least at some point, it's been featured in movies and all kinds of things. Uh, big hit. It, it, I've, uh, I've actually done it a few times at karaoke back in the day. Uh, a lot of fun that song just to just even to to sing it as kind of a you know i always look at karaoke as almost singing as an observer of the song and uh this was a fun one to do i did it a few times but it's great it just boosted them to start it got them a, a very early tour in the united states while they weren't popping in europe just yet uh you know here in the states we we were we were gobbling it up and they ended up opening for cream on uh, cream's farewell tour and got abruptly kicked off after a, just a very few shows. I read an article recently, and I don't know how true it is. I, I kind of think it would be fun if it was, but uh, that Jimi Hendrix went backstage after one of the shows to tell Eric Clapton that Richie Blackmore blew him off the stage. And of course, it was that was the last night that Purple had played with uh, with Cream. So I don't know if that's true. But if it is, that's kind of hilarious. And certainly, um, you know, to win the respect of, of somebody who had everyone's respect a, a guy like Jimi hendrix that's a pretty huge compliment to richie but it wouldn't surprise me I mean, why else would they kick the band off the tour unless there was some you know hey these guys are blowing us out of the water kind of thing cream was tired at that point you know they weren't that aggressive of a band i don't think at least not the songs that i know um, they were a good band but they weren't you know on fire live like deep purple was especially doing songs like mandrake root which could stretch out to 20, 25 minutes sometimes, and just, you know, the band just goes off. I don't know how adventurous they were on the first tour, but I would imagine there were already at least elements of it there. There is a, um, actually, I do know because there was an album called Inglewood 68. And if I remember right, Mandrake Root was already one of those songs that was just kind of a long live jam. Uh, Been a long time since I've heard it, but I can't think of a version I've heard of Mandrake Root live that didn't do that. So I'm pretty sure that right off the bat they were. So if they were playing like that ahead of Cream, how do you come on stage and top that? You know, that's that would be a pretty tall order. So I could understand why Cream was like, um, yeah, we're not having any more of this. But as it turned out, the promoters um, got them a little short tour so that their time in the States wasn't um, wasn't wasted. And they did a few other shows here before heading back to Europe. Obviously, eventually they caught on in Europe. But uh, yeah, that was a hush in that Cream tour was a pretty big moment for the band, um, which leads us to our next song. This one's a little bit more mellow. It's called One More Rainy Day. With a pretty cool groove, I I like that, and then um, just kind of settles down a little bit and gives Rod a chance to sing. I I really like this tune, and it's it's one that I've always thought it really shows Rod off a lot. You know, his his singing is pretty straightforward. There's no you know real need for power or anything, but there's just something about this song I've always thought showed Rod off well. And I remember John Lord described Rod once as a little bit Tom Jones and a little bit Engelbert Humperdinck. And I could totally see that. Honestly, if Rod had, uh, you know, done it at the right time and followed in the footsteps of a guy like Tom Jones, I think he could have had an incredible career that way. He definitely had the voice for it. He was very charismatic on stage and, um, you know, had things gone that way, I think it could have happened. Um, I think he did some good stuff with Captain Beyond. I think he did some great stuff with Purple, as we'll get into over the course of the first three albums here. But yeah, it was it was uh, it it really does seem like he could have had that potentially. Um, But apparently, uh, from what I remember, John saying, too, he wanted to get into film. And that was kind of a a thing for a lot of people. And incidentally, so did Ian Gillen. I remember he started singing because he wanted to get noticed to be put into film. So that's kind of interesting. And, um, you know, that didn't quite work out. But obviously, he's had an incredible career with Deep Purple. And, you know, some success with his own bands and Black Sabbath and all that. Um, but this is a fun song. You know, it's uh, it's a little more mellow coming off of Hush, especially. But it's kind of, you know, just a warm song. And I, I think about you know growing up in Michigan when I first heard this song and we did get a lot of rain. You know, I remember sitting in my windowsill just watching the rain cascade down because my window faced, um, I don't know, what would that have been? East, I think. No, uh West my window faced west and we got, uh, you know, the winds and everything would blow the the rain onto my window. So a lot of times it would just cascade down and I couldn't see through it at all. And I always liked those moments, except that sometimes it would get in the sill a little bit and start flooding. But apart from the flooding, it was a lot of fun. And that brings us to our next song, uh, which is a dual song, but I'm going to split them up. It's Prelude Happiness. And I'm so glad. Here's a little bit of Prelude Happiness. After your one more rainy day and your sorrow. love that snare work i used to practice that quite a bit um it's a lot of rudiments in there and uh a really great dynamics great to play to great to learn from i learned a lot from that i remember that first snare drum i had um well the first one i had was a red sparkle snare drum with no bottom head uh that my grandfather gave to me but then the next snare i got the first aluminum one i remember with my pearl export kit um actually no no where did i get that one I had one with my Maxwin bass drum. I don't remember where it came from now. But anyway, it was an aluminum snare drum. And uh, I remember to uh, to deaden it, I put a towel like a, a dish towel over the top of it. And I would play on top of that uh, for the head because I didn't know anything about dampening drums when I was like eight, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I got a really good sound out of it really tight. None of that uh, over ring that you get from a snare a lot of times. And it was really perfect for playing stuff like this because it was dead enough to really be able to uh, to bring out the dynamics. And even though I wasn't playing it that well that young, um, I certainly was able to hear everything that I was doing and able to improve on it over time. But this was just a blast to play. Uh, and it's just a, it's a fun little thing. It gets a little bit crazier before it mellows out and gets ready to go into I'm So Glad, um, which is kind of funny that it comes down before it goes into this extra happiness. But uh, let's just listen to a little bit of I'm So Glad. From a lyrical point, I've never really understood this song. I mean, the guy's like, you know, I'm bummed that you're never around. I, I call you, you know, I'm, you're not here with me. And it sucks, but I'm so glad. I- I've never really understood what he's glad about like where's the thing that you're overcoming this you're letting it go maybe you're you're glad you're on your own now but i've never really understood that connection um it's a cool song though it's a bit repetitive uh vocally but it does get into a really cool instrumental section uh a little bit later on that actually kind of reminds me of our next song mandrake root a little bit it has a a similar feel to part of that middle section of that song but i'm so glad it's a good song you know it's it's uplifting it's kind of fun it's bouncy it's light and um you know coming off of one more rainy day and then going into prelude happiness which is just it's completely own thing um it's actually just a nice change of direction for the album i think but it's one that i've always enjoyed a lot of it again i think has to do with that snare drum work that really makes the song for me a lot of cool dynamics there um that brings us to one of my all-time favorite deep purple tracks i've listened to this song So many times, I can't even tell you. Used to be when I was in the eighth grade, um, I would have one of two albums ready to go on my stereo. This was one of them, and the other one would have been in the court of the Crimson King. So I would wake up, and I would either the first song I would hear in the morning to kind of you know get me up and going would be either in the, the song in the court of the Crimson King or Mandrake Root. Either one of them would have been perfectly happy with. I also had a weird thing with my cassette. In in the uh, in that particular stereo and this was one of those old component stereos like a Marantz or a Sony I can't remember off the top of my head which one I had Um, whatever one service merchandise sold probably or JC Penney's, but it I could I could hit play and rewind at the same time on the cassette. And it would actually slow the cassette down. So I was able to learn a lot of what Ian Pace was playing on this because I was able to slow it down and and be able to hear it a little bit more. Of course, it distorts the sound. You know, when you play it at a different speed, it's going to pitch it down if it's slower, pitch it up if it's faster. That's how you get your Alvin and the Chipmunks sound. But I, I was able to really hear a lot of what he was playing. And it was cool. I probably ruined that stereo just by doing that so much. But um, it was definitely helpful for me as a drummer. So I don't think I ruined the stereo, but if I did, it was worth it. Here's a little bit of Mandrake Root. Now, there is this wonderful little vocal section, you know, but it gets really, really crazy after this. Uh, it just goes into a whole section where, you know, uh, Ian Pace is just kind of going off, Nick Simper's going off, John Lord's soloing for the first half of it. Then they have a, a part that they all come together on. Then Richie takes off for the rest of the song. They come back to that part again. Ian Pace has a little solo at the end, and then they all come together to finish it and do like a big concert ending. But I'm just going to play you a little bit of this because this is such magic to me. And to think that, you know, this was actually the first song that Deep Purple wrote together is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. One thing I've always been very curious about, I don't know if I'll ever get the answer to it, but it really sounds like Ian Pace is playing his snare drum without the strainer on, yet when they come back into the part where they all rejoin each other, the snare's back on. So I wonder if he had used an extra snare that was sitting around in the studio, um, because back then, you know, it was not like you had these quick locks that you could just uh, flip really fast and get your strainer uh, removed or back on the drum while you're playing live. You had to, like, unscrew it, reset it, then screw it back down so it would stay. Like, it was not that easy back then. So I I have to wonder if he didn't have maybe a second drum. And it would make sense if he had a second, like, a backup snare, or there was another one in the studio, or he borrowed one from, from another band or something. I know that when they recorded Fireball, he borrowed the bass drum from, I think it was Keith Moon Keith Moon's coming to mind right now, um, but I, I think it was Keith that that he, they were also recording in the same studio and they hadn't removed their gear yet, so they wanted to record Fireball, so Ian just grabbed his bass drum and used it for the second bass drum and Fireball. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure that he had to have had a second snare, but I, where he would have put it that would have been comfortable to play, because he's using it a lot, would have been uh, an interesting thing to find out. Um, maybe someday I'll get the answer to that. But in any case, um It has a great sound to it. The song is so energetic. It goes in so many cool directions, and it just feels so spontaneous. Remained a staple in their live show for years to come. Even when they stopped doing the actual song, when they would drag out a song like Space Truckin', for example, um, and make that the, their long song, they would always come back to it at the end to use that mandrake root part to uh, all rejoin each other. Um, a Very good song, uh, one I've always loved. And I, I believe it was Richie that said in one of his uh, YouTube videos that this was the first song that Deep Purple wrote. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Richie but in any case one that i i absolutely love um i it's one of the few songs that i will go out of my way to listen to live versions of because every one of them is so spontaneous and so different i mean deep purple was they, they played on the line all the time live and you never knew where they were going they had to really pay attention to each other while being in their own zone at the same time for it to work on stage and You know, it it was just magical. And so that's that's one of the few songs that I actually do really go after listening to live. My favorite version of it would be on an album called Deep Purple in Concert. Uh, That's a double album, two different concerts. It's on the first side uh, or the first album, I should say. uh, Really cool, really interesting directions that the song went in live, including this little weird tribal part at one point. But uh, definitely a favorite of mine. So if you like the song, check that out um that brings us to our next song which is a beatles cover and it is called help this is a very interesting cover because the beatles version is really upbeat despite the sad vocals it's you know i I don't know it's such a contrasting song and i remember john lennon didn't like it he wanted it to be slow and that's not how the beatles recorded it so i remember reading uh an some little snippet of an interview where he had mentioned that he had heard Deep Purple's version and said, I really like that. That's the version that I wanted to record in the first place. So very interesting that Deep Purple chose that song and chose to do it the way that John Lennon had that vision. I don't know if they were aware of that at the time, but at the end of the day, that's what they did. Here's a little bit of help. Very somber vocal from Rod. Very emotional, again, proving what a talented singer he really is. And, you know, (laughs) he's sort of disappeared from the world. There's rumors that he is working in the medical community in California. Uh, I have actually had that confirmed. And uh, I will once again, as always, reach out and say, hey, Rod, if you're out there and you happen to be listening to this, please get in contact with me. I would love to interview you or just even speak with you get a chance to say thank you for the music that you've given us over the years, uh, some really amazing stuff. And um, I'm very grateful for it. This is a great song. Um, It's really emotional. I like that. I I like that it has just such depth to the vocals and such a really interesting mood coming from the organ. Uh, You know, even listening to this now with that 60s sound, that late 60s sound, it still sounds really warm and inviting to me, you know, even though the song is is sad. There's a warmth to the overall tone of it that really has always brought me into this album. Um, one of the reasons that I like it so much, apart from the great song writing and performances on it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a Beatles song. John Lennon dug it. Does it get any better than that? Boy, compliments from John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix right off the bat. These guys were doing good. No doubt about that. Now that brings us to our next song. This is called Love Help Me. A great double track vocal from Rod. Uh, Another great song with a groove that just, just draws me right in. You know, it's the perfect tempo too. If it were a little bit faster or a little bit slower, would be a completely different song. They really locked in on what this song needed for sure. Uh, Ian Pace got a lot of energy on this one. I mean, he's what 19 at this point, you know, pretty crazy to think about him being in a band that was starting to take over the world at such a young age and he went for it. There was a drummer before him named Bobby Woodman and Bobby Woodman was already in the band and it was roundabout at the time. But um, he came in, they moved Bobby out of the house to to audition Ian and he got the job. And then they let Bobby go. It's just the way it was done back then. If you wanted something, you went for it. And um, that's that. I don't know what Bobby Woodman went on to do, but I know it wasn't Deep Purple because uh ian pace is the only member from the founding uh members that is still in the band and so uh, bobby woodman would not be considered a founding member because he was in roundabout it was after ian pace joined that they turned their name to deep purple so he was a founding member of deep purple um but very good playing from everybody on this some great solo work from richie Uh, really strong keyboard and bass work on the song um the bass really stands out i think on this song too just like it did in parts of mandrake root where it's it's almost hypnotic and some great playing from nick simper i don't know how he was looked at as a bass player to be honest i don't know if he's somebody that they look back at and go this guy was really good or not i say he was really good very good um especially on songs like mandrake root i mean to keep up that pace kind of reminds me of paul newton on salisbury from um the Salisbury album from Uriah Heap on that particular song. There's, there's just a, a great bass groove in that song. And you, you just lock onto it. And sometimes I forget to listen to the other stuff because I'm just locked onto the bass guitar. I get that way with Mandrake Root too. Now coming off of Love Help Me, we have another cover song. And this one is a cover of a Jimi Hendrix song called Hey Joe. This is a very long, drawn-out version. It's about seven and a half minutes, and Jimi Hendrix's version was three and a half minutes. So there's a lot of liberties taken, a lot of directions to go in that weren't part of the original song, but that's just part of the magic of Deep Purple. They're very creative guys. They see vision in, in every song, and they, they just put some parts in there that weren't in the original. It's very well done. I always liked it as a drummer more than a listener because it's a lot of fun snare work, and a lot of precision, almost that military type uh, precision in the beginning of the song. But uh, it's a fun song to play as a drummer. As a listener, it's just never been one of my favorite songs. Um, I get it. it. It's kind of the same, you know, Night Delights went out in Georgia type story. But uh, musically, it's it's a great song. I just, you know, it, lyrically, it never really did anything for me. But, uh, but the Deep Purple version, I absolutely love, um, even at almost twice the length of, or, um, actually, what, more than twice the length of the Jimi Hendrix version. So uh, it's a good one to listen to, for sure. And, uh, you know, Rod gets really passionate in this song, which is really nice. There's some really strong keyboards that come in. Um, yeah, good, a good song to listen to, no doubt about that. And that would have been uh, the end of the official album, at least the American version of it that was on Tetragrammaton. The uh, bonus tracks, uh, we have three of them that we're going to go through. Uh, the first one I talked about as this being one I did not hear until we got the Deep Purple, the Anthology double album, which was a lot of repetition because we'd had most of the albums by that point, but there were some new uh, newly introduced songs on on there for us and this is the first one that appeared it is called shadows I absolutely love this song. And maybe part of it is because it was kind of forbidden fruit. You know, it was something that we we knew existed, but we didn't hear it for a long time. And maybe that made it a little bit more special. But the mood of this song, the sound of it, it sounds a little darker than the rest of the album. Um, Richie's got some great solo work on it. Um, You know, he's already starting to fill in little bits here and there in the songs. And making them a little bit more interesting, but there's just something about the overall feel of the song that I've, I've always really, really enjoyed and appreciated it. it As far as I know, it was recorded in the same sessions with the rest of the songs, but it does feel like it's apart from them just because it sounds a little bit different, at least to me. Um, but I love that. I love that dark edge that it has to it. Um, it's, it's really something that I find highly enjoyable. And I did find a little bit of something. And again, Keep in mind that this album was, was recorded in, in a weekend. Um, in fact, I remember Nick Simper said that as soon as the official lineup of the band was solidified, the record company already booked time in the studio. They haven't even written anything yet. And they're like, we got your studio time you know, so this album was put together very, very quickly. And it's um, and it explains why probably there's more covers on it than there would have been if they had time to write a proper album. I'm glad they did it this way, because maybe without Hush, it would have been harder for them to break in the States and then eventually Europe, who knows what would have happened. But there are some amazing originals like Mandrake Root, and Love Help Me, and some great covers as well. So overall, you know, however, it came together, I think, at the end of of all things, I think the situation worked out very, very well, because we have some great music to enjoy. Um, I'm going to play just a little part in the end that um, the reason I brought that up was because there's sounds like there's a little bit of an an error in here that was never edited out. And, you know, back then, they didn't have a lot of time, maybe they didn't notice it. Uh, Who knows? So it's right as he gets to the dough in shadows, there's, it sounds like a stick click or like somebody dropped something and it just hit one time and maybe they caught it. Um, But there's definitely an an artifact in there that I always found interesting. And, you know, it was an outtake. It wasn't put on the album. So maybe they never bothered to clean it up. And then when they went to, you know, put it on the anthology uh, or remaster it for some of these projects that they just kind of left it in because it was part of the song or maybe no one really noticed it. I don't know. But um yeah, there it is. So a little bit of shadows trivia for you. You can decide what it sounds like for yourself. Um, that's what I think it is. So uh, that moves us on to our next bonus track, the instrumental version of Love Help Me. nice blistering version of that song. Uh, Again, that song just has such great energy to it. Uh, Really enjoy it. I love the little things that Richie throws in there. John's organ sounds fantastic. Um, This is really, you know, pre-distortion on the organ too. Uh, He wouldn't have, have done that until I think it was in rock where he really started to have to compete a little bit more with Richie as far as the sound goes and really drive the Hammond. But in any case, uh, the the sound on this album is really good. I think it's good that it, he didn't have that. I think it would have been too much and it wouldn't have that sort of, you know, rock, but still kind of psychedelic sound that we get on this album. It's really a crossbreed of the two, but very cool. Anyway, I really love the instrumental version of that. And, you know, if you want to sing along to it, it, it certainly gives you the opportunity. If you know the song well enough, you can just jump in and, and sing as well because the verse parts are there. Um, very cool. And so that brings us to our last track on the album, which, well, uh, there's a couple others there, BBC, ses- BBC Sessions Zone, you know, uh, unless I'm covering a live album, I really don't cover live stuff. So our last song that we'll talk about is an alternative take to the song Help. One thing you might have noticed, these bonus tracks that I've presented here, they don't have sounds at the beginning of them. All the songs, except for And The Address, because it had that long organ intro, all the songs on this album had some sort of weird sound effect that didn't really relate to anything. I don't know why. I don't know if the band made that decision, or if that was something that the producer did or the engineer while they were mixing it or whatever, I have no idea. But in any case, all of the proper songs on the album, with the exception of And The Address, have some sort of weird sound to start them off. Uh, these additional versions or uh, additional songs do not. Uh, but this is nice. This is somber. Obviously, there's no drums through through this part. We were used to hearing that little hit on the ride cymbal. Um, very, very gentle version. It makes it even a little bit more somber, I think, to not have the drums. Driving it in any way, shape, or form, um, but really, again, beautiful vocal from Rod. Nice fill-ins from Richie. A really good organ sound from John. Nikki is spot on. It's uh, it's a great version of the song. I'm really glad that they included the alternate take. I don't know if that was maybe a demo or something that they recorded. And they're like, "All right, that's one take. Let's do another take. I think we can do it better." Kind of thing, or you know, play around with it, or whatever the case. But uh, I'm glad they included it because it's a pretty cool, pretty cool version of, for an alternate. Um, and that wraps up Shades of Deep Purple, you guys. It's like I said, this album for me is incredibly nostalgic. Um, It's one that I got early on because simply because I found it at Kmart for $5. And I didn't really appreciate it at the time. I wish I had um, because I was so young when I got it. But they had all three of the initial Deep Purple albums from Tetragrammaton and they were all $5 a piece. So we got them. And if I would have realized how rare those would have become, I would have gone back and gotten a second copy of each one and, and left it sealed, you know, because they're pretty hard to find now, as far as I know. Um, but very cool, nonetheless, and a great album. So I hope that you guys, if you're not familiar with this album, I hope that you enjoyed it. Maybe you'll check it out. And if you are familiar with this album, maybe this was a, a nice little nostalgia trip for you. So thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. We'll be back shortly with another episode. Cheers.